what is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dat who dat stuff? Who dat? You know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our 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 chant. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Duncan Holder Podcast. It's Tuesday, June 16th. We're recording uh, without my cohort in crime, Larry Holder. This is Jeff Duncan, your host today, flying solo without Sir Lawrence, who's taken a little bit of a vacation, well-deserved vacation. He's probably uh, sitting on a beach somewhere with a drink uh, with an umbrella in it, I'm guessing, uh, recharging his batteries as we all are uh, during this, uh, we've finally got summer in New Orleans. It, uh, the spring is over. We had the most beautiful spring ever. And Larry's uh, time off coincides with the heat and humidity of Louisiana. So hopefully he's enjoying himself. He'll be back next week and we'll dominate again as the uh, Duncan Holder duo on the podcast. But I'm very excited about our guest today. Mike Sando is going to be joining us a little bit later here in the podcast. We're going to have a great discussion with Mike. He's a senior NFL writer uh, at The Athletic, one of our colleagues. Uh, I've known Mike for well over a decade, maybe close to two decades now. I'm, I'm dating myself. Uh, he's covered the NFL. I, when I first met Mike, he was covering the Seahawks while I was on the Saints beat. And he's one of the most respected and knowledgeable people covering the NFL uh, we're going to have a wide-ranging discussion. We'll talk about the Saints. We'll talk about Drew Brees. We're going to talk about some of his perspective on the NFL. He's got a story up this week about which teams would be uh, best suited to sign Colin Kaepernick. We'll get his thoughts on that. And I just want to remember, uh, remind everyone also, before we get into the discussion with Mike, uh, if you like the podcast, please, we hope you do, uh, rate, review us on whatever platform you're using. Uh, that helps a lot. So if you're on iTunes or whatever uh, platform you're using, uh, don't hesitate to give us a five-star review because uh, that'll help us in the long run. So let's dive in to the discussion. I want to welcome in Mike Sando. Mike, how you doing? I know I know uh, it's been an unprecedented uh, off-season for all of us that cover the NFL. Um, how you doing? And uh, what's it been like for you trying to navigate this kind of unprecedented landscape? Well, I've been real blessed, you know, to to have a job that I love still, and my family's healthy and home. My uh, my boys are uh, just graduated this year with a weird graduation ceremony for my oldest, and the youngest is a freshman, so it was different. But uh, you know, I think with so many hardships that so many people are going through, um, we we've been blessed. So I'm thankful for that, and certainly hope uh, the best for others who haven't been as fortunate. What is uh, like? What phase are you all in out there? I mean, we're getting ready to open up phase two here in New Orleans. Uh, it's been a little bit of a slow halting uh, recovery. Uh, where are you all at? I think we're in phase impatient. You know, where people are <laughs> really want to go. And I believe it's phase two, but uh, uh, you know, I think you can just sense that people are eager to kind of get back to doing what they were doing. And then, you know, we're going to find out what that means in terms of uh, obviously the virus and the implications of that. Hopefully things go well. But I think uh, here they've been a little bit more cautious, you know, than some other parts of the country. We had the terrible um, number of deaths early on in the nursing homes. I think it really got people's attention. And and so we were, uh, you know, we put a wet blanket on the fire early and seemed to do well in containing it. But uh now there's that balance, you know, between the natural and the need to get back and live lives versus, uh, you know, 
what we don't even know for sure is the smartest approach, right? Because uh, we don't really know for sure what's going to happen. Well, I know that you started out your career covering the Seahawks. Uh, you were based out in Washington State, you know, almost as long as I've known you. Um, give our, our listeners a little bit of a background on your career arc. You were at ESPN for a while. You've been at The Athletic, kind of similar to me for about a year, a little over a year or so, or just approaching a year. Uh, just give a quick yeah. a quick overview of the Mike Sando resume. Sure. I grew up in Northern California, Sacramento area, was actually uh, a Raider fan. Uh, I was a Raider season ticket holder for a few years. If you would have told me that I could, I would transition into a career covering the NFL and wouldn't really care whether the Raiders won or lost, I would have said you were absolutely crazy, which is what <laughs> many fans say, because if you're a fan and a real fan, you can't imagine that ever happening. But I was fortunate enough, um, you know, I guess dating myself a little bit here, late 90s to get a job covering the Seahawks who had obviously been a rival, division rival of the Raiders back in the old AFC days. And it was amazing. I uh, My orientation switched completely from being, you know, just an absolute diehard fan who would do uh, anything to see a game and root on my team and lived and died to uh, putting that same passion into covering the league. And so I covered the Seahawks during the end of the Dennis Erickson period in through Mike Holmgren's time and then went on to ESPN. I covered the NFC West for five years. And then the last seven, eight years, uh, both at ESPN and now at The Athletic, I've been a uh, national NFL columnist who really kind of dives into the behind the scenes, right? The kind of the, kind of the insider takes on stuff. My quarterback tears project comes out every year is, one, is a real highlight for me, has helped me and others sort of understand what the league thinks about uh, players at the most important position. And I do a lot of other projects, um, including one we'll discuss today that I did on the greatest, or the, at least the most dominant teams in NFL history. We can talk about where some of the great Saints teams were, uh, who was at the top and why. Um, I just have a dream job. I, I really love it. Yeah, and I want to talk to you about the quarterback tiers because um, we want to get into some Drew Brees discussion a little, a little bit later. Uh, I think it's important to have uh, people on the podcast like yourself that look at the league from a, you know, a national perspective. It's always good to get insight on what – uh, the the view is from afar of the New Orleans Saints and some of the players on the team because we're in the weeds here. We lack perspective sometimes. So I want to get into the Saints in a second. But first, I want to ask you, because I know you've been uh, you know, heavily involved with the Pro Football Writers of America, which I, I of course, a longtime member of. Most of us in the business uh, belong uh, to the PFWA. And I'm curious to know, how access and coverage is going to, uh, if you know anything about that, before we get into, you know, the league and, and the saints, uh, what do you think football is going to look like this fall oh, NFL football in particular? And from a coverage standpoint, how do you think uh, the PFWA is going about addressing that for uh, reporters yeah. and media across the league? Yeah, certainly. I, you know, we're, I'm a treasurer with the Pro Football Writers of America. Work closely with Bob Glauber of Newsday, who's our president, and we have been in communication with the league and the Players Association. Obviously, we want that perfect balance where, uh, obviously, you know, the coverage and the access is going to be reduced. I mean, we know that we want to have as uh, much access as we safely can have. So there's a lot of things being talked about in terms of you know what would be a sensible number of reporters to be covering a team during camp. Where would they be positioned, right? You've got a big football field. Maybe they could be spread out. Uh, you'd probably have masks involved, all of those types of things. Um, there could be a natural tendency 
you know, on a league side to just shut everything down, right? And just be extra um, careful that way. But if we can find a way to make it work from a, uh, th- that's smart, uh, we really want to do that because obviously people want to, you know, read about their teams and learn about their teams. And that's harder to do if there aren't, uh, you know, people there like yourself or, you know, who, who know the Saints better than anybody and are going to be out there and can interpret it and bring some perspectives that people really uh, enjoy. Yeah, you know, our colleagues uh, overseas that are covering the Bundesliga and now the Premier League starting up, I've kind of followed how they are handling uh, media access. And it's pretty interesting that there's some different uh, logistical uh, tactics they're using where they might have a pool reporter take questions for the coach or the manager in that case or a star player and all the reporters will submit their questions to one pool reporter who will ask all of them to the uh, manager or to the player. Uh, they also have some Zoom conference calls, I know, uh, video conferences they're doing. I guess everything's on the table, right? I mean, yeah. it's, is it still too early to know wh- where we're going to be on that? I think it really is. You know, We've just had discussions over, hey, here's what we would like to try to do, and then we don't really know how that's going to go. And I think you know, the NFL does have some time on its side, right? I mean, we're not going to have training camps for another, uh, what, about five, six weeks? So mm-hmm. um, I think a lot that happens in the country is going to uh, inform you know, what's the best way to go? We were hearing just yesterday, right? Members of the Texans and Cowboys have coronavirus. Well, what does that mean? Are they fine next week? Uh, are they going to have lung issues that affect their season, their careers? Uh, you know what I mean? We, uh, we're going to know more by the time it starts and what it really means. All right, let's take a quick break here and we'll come back. We're going to talk to Mike. Uh, about the New Orleans Saints and Drew Brees. I want to get his thoughts on uh, where Drew Brees ranks among the all-time greats uh, and also what his thoughts are on the rest of the NFC. Uh, so we'll come back with Mike Sando, national NFL writer at The Athletic. Let's face it, guys. There are certain times when you don't want to have to go to the doctor's office to get help for a medical condition. If you're dealing with a condition like ED, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and then you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. That's right, free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com DH for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com DH for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Welcome back. Talking to Mike Sando, senior NFL writer at The Athletic here on the Duncan Holder Podcast. Mike, let's let's dive into the Saints real quick and get your perspective on the Saints uh, from uh, out on the West Coast. And uh, I know you cover the NFC uh, as well as everybody else in the league. I'm curious to know your thoughts on the Sean Payton, Drew Brees era uh, from a national perspective. You know, I've just completed a, a book on the Peyton Breeze era. It's going to come out this fall. And, you know, I make the case that I think they're they're kind of underrated on a national scale, but it's hard to argue uh, 
very adamantly against that because they've only won one Super Bowl. They've only made one Super Bowl uh, in this dynastic run that they've had offensively, produced all these records uh, in these these high-scoring games. The offense is ranked among the best in the history of the league. But what do you think of, of, of this Saints era with Peyton and Breeze? Do you consider it a disappointment that they've had a Hall of Fame quarterback and only made – one Super Bowl, or do you, do you not let that discount all the uh, it doesn't division titles they won and everything? Yeah, it doesn't discount it at all. I mean, I was just talking to someone mm-hmm. yesterday about, um, you know, who's younger than me about, hey, what happened? Why did Dan Marino not get back to one, and why didn't he win one? Well, it's freaking hard, you know? <laughs> and and by the late 80s, Marino's defense wasn't as good. And then he's suddenly in the division with the Bills, who have a Hall of Fame coach and quarterback, and, and then Bill Parcells goes to the – Patriots, and it's just, and then he tears his Achilles, right? There's all these things that happen that make it really hard to win a lot of Super Bowls. I think the thing that just sticks out to me about New Orleans is just how the whole bounty thing was a huge impact. I mean, it gutted their defense. It gutted their defensive culture. It led to... Uh, it led to the head coach, the most you know, most important person, arguably outside of Drew Brees, to be suspended. I mean, I think it really is underrated for how much that put them on their heels. It, it really made this be two eras of Saints football. I think there was the first era, which they within five years they're a Super Bowl winner and a great team, and now after really getting knocked down to the canvas and taking a standing eight count that was way harder of a punch than people give it credit for. They've clawed their way back, and we'll see if they get another one. I feel like they should have in the last couple of years. They've really been that good of a team. Uh, they still have a chance. The window's not closed. If they get another one, it's almost two eras. It's almost like they did it twice to me. Not quite, because Breeze was there the whole time, but I think that's a significant part of it that's different from other things that other teams have had to deal with. And, and how hard is that to do? You know, I mean, I, I covered Mike McCarthy when he was here uh, as offensive coordinator. He, we all know he went to Green Bay, had a great run up there, and then it kind of got stale, and he got fired. Uh, now he's in Dallas. We saw the same thing happen with Andy Reid uh, in Philadelphia, and certainly he just won the Super Bowl in Kansas City. Uh, how unusual and rare is it that Peyton and Breeze have been able to keep this thing going and keep evolving over – it's now going on year 15? Yep, absolutely. You know, and you mentioned I covered Seattle, so I covered Mike Holmgren. Well, after seven or eight years in Green Bay, he left, and it had a dramatic effect on what happened in Green Bay, right? I mean, they weren't the same. Favre wasn't the same. He ended up leaving. Uh, still had a Hall of Fame career, but it is very hard to keep it going for that period of time, especially when you had – uh, some real bumps along the way, huge bumps along the way. So I think you just give him a ton of credit, and uh, they're both going to be – I mean, Breeze is obviously going to be out in the Hall of Fame. I would think that Sean Payton um, is going to be in the Hall of Fame too. I mean, he's just got, a, got an incredible record. And, and you also look at – I know the Saints have had some success over the years. Jim Moore did a great job in, in turning around a program that really hadn't won. But you just look at – what they've done relative to the rest um, of the history of the franchise. I think that's an important piece of context, too, that places – a lot of places that lose just always lose. They're, they're never great. You know, I was did this thing we talked about earlier about the most dominant teams. In 50 years, the Cardinals have been to the playoffs eight times. You know what I mean? You, you look at these things. Mm-hmm. You look at look at the Bengals, and uh, you know, for so long, it's hard to have an organization that, that hasn't achieved – and then take them to the ultimate heights where you win and sustain. And, uh, you know, that's been done. I want to ask you about Drew Brees in particular. Um, 
I'm, I know I'm, I'm totally biased here. I, you know, I like to think I'm not, but it just happens. You cover a team for 15 years and, uh, you know, you end up seeing, seeing things that maybe other people outside the market don't see. And I contend that Breeze is somewhat underrated. I mean, the, I know we had the, the, the NFL 100 team. They had 10 quarterbacks on it recently, and Drew Breeze wasn't on it. He's the all-time leading passer <laughs> in the history of the league. It, it blew my mind that he didn't make it. And, and my contention has always been that it's hard to appreciate someone like Drew Brees. I, the guy I compare him to, Mike, is he's like the Greg Maddox of quarterbacks. You know, he doesn't <laughs> blow you away. He paints the black. And that's hard to appreciate someone right. that has that consistency over and over. He's not Nolan Ryan with the big arm. That's Pat Mahomes or, or Brett Favre. And those highlight reel plays that those guys make in this social media world – get repeated over and over on, on Twitter and they make for great gifts. And that's not Drew Brees. To appreciate him is to depreciate like a Greg Maddox type of, yeah. of, of surgeon. And uh, I just want to get your thoughts on that. If you think, uh, I know he's a Hall of Famer, but where do you think his spot is among the all-time greats? You know, I think he has to be in that uh, in that top 10. And, you know, we'll see where some other guys go. I actually did it when I was working at ESPN in 2017. I, I got together a group of people that included Pete Carroll, Tony Dungy, Mike Holmgren, Howard Mudd, Wade Phillips, Mike Reinfeldt, Ray Rhodes, Mike Shanahan, and Al Saunders, and Norv Turner. Okay, guys with, at the time, had a combined 330 seasons of NFL experience. They had really seen it. And I said... Here's how I look at the great quarterbacks. I say, I think there's two eras. I think there's before 1978 and there's since 1978. Since 1978 is when they changed the rules, okay? They changed the rules to make it a lot easier to have a dynamic passing game. You could no longer uh, have, you know, bump and hit the guy after five yards, the receiver. You couldn't do that. And and then you could use your hands in a different way as a, in pass blocking. So at that time in football, that's when you had the Air Coriel, Fouts, all, you know, the, the, the production and passing went up. So I look at mm-hmm. that era. That's what we're comparing. And so when I talk to those guys, all that list of guys that I just read off to you, I polled them. I said, who are the best quarterbacks since then? And Breeze, I believe, came out nine. We had Brady came out number one. And I think you just can't argue with the, the winning and the consistency in the championships. Uh, Peyton Manning came out two. Joe Montana came out three. John Elway came out four, and I think we could debate if that's a little high, but I think physically you're right. He has something, right, that that Mm. Breeze didn't, but he wasn't nearly as consistent as a passer. Rodgers came out fifth, again, a special athlete. Marino came out sixth. These were all Hall of Famers. He was tied with Brett Favre at six. Steve Young then came out eight, and then Breeze came out nine. So maybe with three more years of Breeze excellence, and certainly if they get another championship – I mean, he's going to move ahead of some of the – probably move ahead of Steve Young, right? So, I mean, I think you have a hard time keeping him out of that top 10, and maybe he's climbed higher. How much do you think it's hurt his case or his uh, reputation that he's played in Sean Payton's offense? I mean, it seems like Breeze has always had to fight that stigma a little bit that he's a system quarterback, even going <laughs> back to Purdue. You know, at Purdue, he was kind of viewed yep. as that guy, and it's probably why he dropped into the second round. Uh, do you think there is a little bit of a – you know, he's actually been hurt by playing for such a great offensive mind. Yeah, no doubt. And I think you combine that, you know, that, that's that's helped him a lot, no doubt about it. So, um, you know, if you had just put him um, in a in a bad offense, he probably wouldn't have done as well. But I think what people need to realize, too, is he, he had some great production when he was with the Chargers that no one even considers. 
I mean, he, he had yeah. a really good year. Didn't he have a 12-4 and four season and put up some yes. good numbers? I mean, I think— Made the Pro Bowl. You know, he was good enough before—I think this is a great point you're bringing up. Like, he was good enough before he came to the Saints that he got a really good contract from the Saints with a torn-up shoulder. Throwing shoulder. Yeah. So yeah, um, I think that part of it needs to be talked about more. I was just actually looking at that the other day for some reason because I'm crazy and I look at football stuff too much. <laughs> but um, I was reading about that. I know I know why because I've got a piece coming out this week on the greatest unrestricted free agent signings, you know, since 93 the system came into play. And, um, you know, and he's got a rank up there. Well, yeah, I among think. the quarterbacks, it really came down to since then, it came down to Breeze. Uh, Rich Gannon and and Kurt Warner going to Arizona. I think you have to put Breeze number one. Uh, but people forget that they do really think that it's only been done with with Sean Payton. I think it hurts them unfairly. At the same time, yeah, Jeff, um, your thing about just the eyeball test, right? I mean, it's kind of like John Stockton and Michael Jordan are both Hall of Famers and great ball players, but I think we do recognize that. Um, Michael Jordan is different. You know You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that right. that's the gap between Breeze and these other guys on there, but there's some of that. He's a smaller guy who doesn't just physically wow you with the amazing play uh, as much as some of the other guys do. Yeah, and I know some of his teammates have said that uh, what, that's what hurts sometimes when people view him is that they don't appreciate that he can throw the ball uh, in a like a one-foot square window yep. better than anyone that's ever done it. And that take that doesn't wow you though because everyone can make that throw at some point. Yeah. They just can't make it as consistently as he can. Yep. And that's hard to appreciate in, in, in the world we live in today. It's similar, yeah. to, I guess, Greg Greg Maddox. Yep. He's going to the Hall of Fame. That's a no brainer. But I think we do need to re reevaluate him and make sure we're not just taking the lazy of approach of ah yeah a system guy with Peyton. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. All right, let's let's talk about the Saints real quick before we uh, take another break. Uh, your view on the Saints? I mean, this is a talented team. I know you've done some uh, league wide analysis of, of rosters. Uh, we know this team has won thirty seven games the last three years more than any team in the NFL, but yet they've fallen short. They haven't even made the Super Bowl in this run. Uh, what's the view from the West Coast on the Saints? Are they still a Super Bowl contender? You think this year? Oh, I do. I, I think they're really, really good, and they're going to keep that you know that window open at least this year. Uh, obviously, they're going to have you know a retool when when Breeze <laughs> leaves, and they've been put kicking that can down the road uh, to keep the window open. But I think they've done a really good job, and uh, again, showing how hard it is to get go all the way and get over the top. You you can't control. Who else is going to have a great season or a great game? No one would have thought San Francisco was going to be a roadblock, for example. You know what I mean? Just a couple of years ago. So it is really hard, but I think their their consistency is there. I think they've got another year to do it. And now we've got to figure out how good Tampa Bay is going to be, right? That wasn't even a consideration. You know, they, they weren't even somebody that, that the Saints looked at more than twice a year. So I think that's an intriguing part of it. I think they're going to be a good team, too. It didn't get easier for the Saints, but I think they'll be right in it. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the Bucks. I mean, what do you think? They seem like such a mystery to me. Uh, I don't know what to expect, and we're going to get them right off the bat here in, in New Orleans, Week One. Brady against Breeze. It's going to be a huge, uh, huge game right off the bat. I think there's a lot of mystery and curiosity about just how much of a difference he's going to make, especially 
in this offseason where he hasn't really had a ton of time to work with his teammates. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think in general, the offseason um, is overrated. You know, I think coaches make a lot of money, have to justify that, that they have to be practicing all the time in the offseason. And I don't think that's the case. But for a place like that, where you're counting on Tom Brady to come in and affect culture, kind of like Peyton Manning did when he went to Denver, it's a huge impact that a guy like that has in an organization, as you know, with Breeze. He has that impact. So he, I think Brady's diminished in his ability to have the same impact as long as this uh, doesn't. They don't have an off season. But if they get in for training camp and have that and have that month and function, you know, at least somewhat normally, then I think he can still have it. And I think that they will be a team to be reckoned with. You know, um, defensively last year uh, they were bottom five in points allowed per game, but it's really misleading. You know, if you be, because Jameis Winston committed so many turnovers, created so many short fields. The other team scored so many more points than the other team's going to score when you have a quarterback who protects the football like Brady does. So even if Brady is diminished, um, he, so many of the negative plays are going to go away. Just flat out, we can say that. That's going to be a fact. And their defense last year, if you use more advanced measures, just like expected points, you know, it, it takes, it basically takes, uh, shows how many points they allow on a play by play basis for expectation, meaning if, Jameis turns it over in their own end of the field and they give up a field goal, that's actually probably a victory, right? And if you if you measure their defense that way last season, statistically they were top 10, Tampa was. So I don't know that a lot of people appreciate that, but if you have anything close to a top 10 defense with really good weaponry, you know, a pretty good play caller coach, and now quarterback in Tom Brady who is probably diminished but isn't going to screw up the game, I mean, I think they're going to win games. Yeah, you know, we did a fan survey last week uh, among Saints fans on our subscribers, and uh, we asked them who they felt like was the biggest uh, challenger to the Saints in the mm-hmm. NFC, and overwhelmingly it was the 49ers. And I think they're kind of discounting some of the other teams. In the Obviously, the 49ers won the NFC last year, beat the Saints in New Orleans. They have a rematch this year. But I think they're discounting some of the other teams, like the Bucks. I actually think the Cowboys – could be a very serious team now with Mike McCarthy running that team. Uh, I think they're going to be formidable. And uh, we know Seattle and Pete Carroll every year. The Vikings have proven to be a thorn in the Saints side the last few years. Uh, what do you? What's the landscape of the NFC look like yeah. to you right now? Yeah, so here's what I was struck by earlier in the offseason. They're like, hey, uh, guys at The Athletic, could you um, turn in some power rankings, right? So that's sort of the first time you really kind of have to try to stack everybody together. And when I did that, I, you know, I had the Saints in the top three, probably, I think, as I remember. But I like I had the Bucks like at seven or, you know, like way higher than you would have had them a year ago. Because when I really thought about it, I was like, well, I mean, you know, I like their talent. You know, I, I think Brady's still at least in the top 10 quarterbacks in the league, right? So uh, I think they're going to be good. I think you're right. Now, the way I see it is. I think in, let's just go by division. NFC East. I think there, there's some Dallas can be good, but I think there's just question marks with all those teams. You know, I think Philly, Dallas, um, they're going to be tough, but I don't know that I trust them to go all the way. NFC North. I think Green Bay goes back to the pack a little bit. I think they really overachieved at 13 and three. I think they're more of a 10 win team, right? I think Minnesota will still be a good team. Certainly, the Lions will be better with Stafford, but not contending. So that division, probably as a whole at the top, comes down a little bit. I think in the NFC South, you, we talked about it. Tampa Bay comes up and challenges New Orleans. I, I believe that. NFC West, 49ers are going to be really good, but are they going to be 13-3 and three good? You know, I, 
I don't know. You know, I think they're going to be good. I think they're a 11-win team, and Seattle's probably somewhere in that mix. And, and I think people will underrate the Rams. I think people think the Rams have just totally fallen off. They'll be competitive but not go all the way. So I think it's going to be a similar mix of teams with Tampa Bay added to it. Uh, and because that's in the division, it could be the difference. You know, if, if New Orleans doesn't take care of that in the division, what if New Orleans then, instead of being 13-3, and three, is 12-4 and four or is 11-5 and five and has another game on the road in the playoffs, right? That's the margin we're talking about mm-hmm. that determines whether teams go all the way. So I think it is significant. Yeah, I made the contention that the Saints could actually be a better team and maybe have a worse record. Yeah. And you could probably say that for the, for the 49ers too, right? I agree. No, I, I do agree. So that, that race for that number one seed, I give New Orleans as good a chance as, chance as anyone to get it. Like I said, I don't think Green Bay – last year there were three 13-3s, right? You had San Francisco, New Orleans, mm-hmm. and Green Bay. I don't think Green Bay gets there. So is there another team that surprisingly gets there? You know, we'll see. We're not going to predict it. It probably comes down to Saints and 49ers, and I would give the Saints as – I'd probably give the Saints a, a better chance than the 49ers to do it again because I think that there's question marks with Garoppolo, really, um, whereas I don't think there are with Breeze as much. All right, great stuff. Great perspective on the Saints and the NFC from Mike Sando. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Mike about quarterback tiers of one of his uh, – specialty uh, stories that he does every year uh, for The Athletic. And we'll talk to him about some of his other stories that uh, we've got up right now on The Athletic. So let's take a break and we'll come right back with Mike Sanders. Hey guys, if you're like me, you don't know much about cologne. Oh, you know it's important to smell good, but you're clueless when it comes to knowing exactly what fragrance is right for you. That's where our friends at Hawthorne come in. They make smelling good easy. And best of all, they customize their products just for you. All you have to do is go to their website and take a simple two-minute quiz, and their experts will pick out the products that best fit your distinct personality and needs. I did it. It was actually kind of fun, and trust me, it takes less than two minutes, and you can find out exactly what products are right for you. And get this, there's no downside. Free returns, free shipping, so it's really risk-free. And if you're looking for a great gift for your dad, uh, you can go on there, take the quiz for your dad or someone else, and they make great gifts. So here's what you do. Check out Hawthorne. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. That's Hawthorne.co. And use my promo code, Athletic, to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co. And use my promo code, Athletic, to get 10% off your first purchase. One more time, Hawthorne.co. Welcome back. Talking to Mike Sando, senior NFL writer at The Athletic. Very happy to have Mike on the program. And Mike, today you've got a story up on The Athletic. It's very compelling, I think very timely, uh, talking about uh, Colin Kaepernick. And we all know uh, right now the NFL is um, certainly he's on the forefront of what's going on in the NFL. Even Roger Goodell, I think, is starting to admit uh, the error of the ways of the league and uh, really, I think we could see some movement for the first time uh, on Colin Kaepernick by an NFL team. First of all, let me ask you this, just your own opinion. Do you think there's a chance that some team could sign Colin Kaepernick uh, in the wake of all that's going on in the country right now? I do think there's a chance. You know, I, I think it's been, uh, you know, he he doesn't ever say anything, so you never really know for sure exactly what he's looking for or that type of thing. I think that's a part of the equation, right? If you were him, mm-hmm. um, you probably don't want to just go anywhere. So do those things all line up? 
you know, in terms of are, are there three teams that would do it, you know, and then it, is that where he'd want to go? And then what do you pay him and all that? I think it's a little bit more complicated than we make it sound, right? We make it sound like, well, just will a team sign him? Well, under what terms with, you know, what expectations? So, um, but I do think we're much closer. I, I feel like there's been a, a breakthrough. Obviously, Drew Brees was in the middle of that, right? With uh, mm-hmm. people and especially white people understanding or at least having a better understanding um, for why this is so important, um, especially to so many people of color. So I think that uh, being bridged to whatever extent that is bridged at the ownership level, we don't know. These guys don't really say much, do they? You know, um, right. and, and I think we know that a lot of them probably haven't had um, some of the discussions that like Drew Brees had and maybe don't have the same heart, right, or the same intentions. Um, so that's a big X factor in this thing that we don't really know for sure um, how much is going to be controlled by the ownership level of the teams. Well, you kind of uh, surveyed the landscape around the league and put different categories on teams, you know, teams that should pursue Kaepernick, uh, teams that, uh, you know, should consider him. Yeah. Uh, and where did the Saints fall in that? I'm assuming <laughs> they were a team that was not going to be in the mix. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, heck, they got three guys, right? So um, right. three is already a crowd probably. So uh, when I analyze the entire league, I do think it helps to either, you know, put things into tiers or put them into buckets. So I came up with three buckets uh, on it. And the first one was just, teams that should pursue them. And I define that as, you know, your your current backup quarterback has never enjoyed significant success in the league, unlike Kaepernick, and doesn't seem likely to be a starter in the future. And then on top of that, your starting quarterback, um, we're not sure how good he's going to be. You may have great hopes for him, but we don't really know, right? So that's sort of the double, the double dose of neither one of those guys has really done a whole lot. And I had 10 teams in that category. The Saints obviously were not one of them. But I think, you know, it's hard to look at a team like Jacksonville, right, with Mike Glennon behind Mm -hmm. Gardner Minshew and say, you know, why the heck not? Um, So there were 10 teams in that category. Then I had 10 teams that maybe should consider them. And and these are teams that had proven starters, but their current backups have either never really done anything or – haven't done anything for a long time or don't seem likely to be a, a starter. They don't have a lot invested in them. So I think there's a ton of teams like that just in the Saints' own division. I mean, look at look at Atlanta. They got Matt Schaub, who's 38, behind 35-year-old Matt Ryan, right? I mean, Matt Schaub is not going to go in and play a game. And Kaepernick might not either be great, but I'd probably rather at least take my chance with somebody who's a little bit younger and has maybe had a little more success recently, right? So there's a, there's teams in that category. And then there's... I had a dozen teams that might be best off just kind of standing pat. They've got clearly defined starters. Their backups have either enjoyed success in the league or are really well-suited as mentors. So for me, like a team like Miami where, hey, Fitzmagic's got a thing going there. He's played for Chan Gailey in the past. The locker room loves him. They just drafted a guy in the top five. They probably like their fit, right? They probably like the way it's set up, justifiably so. Uh, Certainly the Saints are, you know, not a team that – I didn't even hardly write two sentences on the Saints, you know, right? Because they got Hill, they got Winston, they got Breeze. I mean, they already got a crowded meeting room. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like that would make sense. You mentioned Jameis Winston. I want to switch gears on on, yeah. on you real quick about Jameis Winston and get your thoughts on him going to the Saints. Also, your thoughts on just him as a quarterback. Like, where would he – I don't want to put you on the spot yeah. here because you might not have prepared for this, but where would he have ranked in your tier system? Uh, you know, he's such a kind of polarizing – 
player in the league. He has the high interception numbers, but he also puts up huge numbers yardage-wise and and production-wise. Where do you view him, and did you like that signing? Um, I do like the signing. I mean, I I think that certainly in a – you know, if you, let's just say if some, worst case scenario, if something happens to Breeze, I mean, you've got a guy who has played well before. And as we've seen before in the league um, with a Nick Foles, right? Nick Foles was not nearly as probably as good as Winston has been in his career uh, when he wasn't on the Eagles. And yet he's able to come in for a short period of time, maybe without the pressure and, and let's go guys, right? I mean, I think over a short period of time, Winston could get you to a Super Bowl possibly if he played well for a few games in a row. So I, I love the signing. Um, I still think, you know, long-term, I wouldn't want to have a long-term contract with him and be trusting him with the football. Uh, I think we've seen over a long enough period of time that that's problematic. And so if I were to have him, you know, in a quarterback tier survey, um, he's going to come in and he's probably going to come in in the, in the low third tier or the third tier, which is a legitimate starter but somebody who you, know, you might want to take the ball out of his hands a little bit and maybe you better be pretty good on defense um, and minimize him a little bit more in your offense than you would if you really were excited about somebody. Yeah, you know, there's this, uh, there's this thought process that's bubbled up here recently that I've heard around the league that, uh, you know, that Bruce Arians' offense kind of contributes to a high interception rate. They mentioned that Carson Palmer had – I think he might have led the league in interceptions one year under Arians – uh, I don't know if I buy into that. I mean, I, I remember watching these press conferences last year with Arians, and over and over he was stressing to Winston, hey, check it down if you don't have it. I, I mean, I could see him talking over and over about that, and I just wonder if it's ever going to happen for Winston because this is not – he didn't just play under Bruce Arians and had these issues, right? I mean, he was under Dirk Cutter. He had different coordinators there. It just seems to be uh, – a, you know, a problem for him in processing. I remember talking to Randy Mueller when, and you'll, you'll remember this, I'm sure uh, when they, when the Seahawks drafted Rick Meyer uh, out, out in Seattle, I think they took him number three in the draft. And he said, Rick Meyer could break everything down on the blackboard. He could make every throw out and on the field, but when the bullets were flying, he just had trouble processing. And I wonder if that's an issue with Jameis Winston and it's something that even a great mind like uh, Sean Payton really is never going to be able to correct. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that's probably true. It doesn't mean he doesn't have value or couldn't help, be, couldn't be better than someone else you're going to get, right? I think when, you're, when you mm-hmm. have Drew Brees, you don't have to worry about getting Winston. But Winston might look pretty good in a year if he's retired, right? So then you yeah, adjust right. around it. I think that's the challenge of coaching. I think Sean Payton relishes that. I think that's why he's had Taysom Hill involved, right? It's not enough for him to just be on cruise control. He's, he's always pushing to do something. So as far as Arian's offense, yes, they throw the ball down the field. So, you know, if you measure the average air yards per attempt, right, that's the average distance down the field past the line of scrimmage that the pass travels to its intended target. Just however many times you throw it in a year. The Bucks threw it 630 times. They were number one in the league. Their average pass went over 10 yards down the field. Their interception rate was high. Okay, well, let's look at Seattle. They were third in the air yards, and they they their interception rate was 1.2% compared to 4.8% for Tampa, right? So what's the difference? Well, maybe it's more of a play-action system, whatever, in Seattle. But Russell Wilson's a difference. <laughs> That's the difference. Russell Wilson <laughs> right. throws it accurately and takes care of the football and doesn't do um, unwise things with the football. So, um, you know, yeah, it, pr- it probably doesn't help. I always said this about Winston. You take a guy who doesn't protect the football. 
you put him on a team that doesn't play defense well and doesn't have a running game. And then let's have him throw down the field with, in a no-risk-it-biscuits offense. Is that a good? I mean, that's basically taking your 15-year-old son who doesn't do his homework and getting him a Ferrari and saying, son, let's go drive. And then wondering why he gets tickets. Right? That's what I think right. happened with, with Winston in Tampa Bay over the course of his career. There, was, there wasn't a run game. There wasn't a defense. It was, hey, let's throw the ball. Yeah, I think we're going to find out just how he adjusts. Uh, he didn't have to be the man here in New Orleans. He could learn behind a Hall of Famer. Uh, I think it was a very smart move on his part and, and showed some humility. Uh, not a lot of guys would do that, especially signing for that for that uh, price tag. Very, very uh, oh, basement deal for the Saints, you know. Uh, let's let's ask you a, a little bit about this most dominant NFL teams of the mm-hmm. last 15 years project you did with Zach Boyer. Uh, it came out late last month, got a ton of attention. I was curious yeah. uh, to see where the 2009 Saints might have ranked in that yep. uh, ranking, but it didn't surprise me who came out on top. But before we reveal that to our listeners that maybe hasn't hasn't seen the uh, the the story, tell us a little bit about how you arrived yeah. at what the formula you used to come mm-hmm. up with this ranking. Okay. So, you know, I'm kind of nerdy on this stuff. I, I like to dive into the numbers and the history. And so when uh, one of the editors at The Athletic said, hey, we're doing a most dominant things uh, teams of the last 50 years, 50, so since 1970, um, you know, who would want to do it? And I was like, I just sort of raised my hand in class, you know, before I even thought about it. I was like, I'll do it. It would be fun. But then I wasn't sure, okay, dominance, what does that mean? I mean, we're not just taking the teams with the best records, we're sort of looking for a measure of like how much did you win by kind of, right? But uh, it's not exactly that too. Some of it's who you played, right? Or, or did you win it all? Mm-hmm. There's kind of this mix. So I decided that I would do, I can't, here's the formula I came up with. 35% of it was just what was your one loss percentage, right? That's important. We don't want a bunch of 11 and five teams on it, right? So that's 35%. Then I did 35%. What was your regular season point per game ratio? And all that means is what's your points per game divided by what you allowed? And I thought that was pretty good because that might be sort of a little bit constant over eras, right? We They score more points now, but what is it in relation to what you allowed? That, that seemed pretty good. So that's 35%. So right there, 70% of it is just what was your record and what how much did you win by relative to to your opponent? Then I had three other things at 10% each. One of them was just your playoff one loss percent, right? I wanted to give some sort of a weight for that you did well in the playoffs. I had 10%. What was your playoff dominance, like your your point per game ratio, right? So like a team like the 85 Bears, they outscored their opponents in the postseason 30 to 3 on average, right? That's a 9.1 to 1 point ratio. That's awesome. I mean, no, no one does that. And then the last one was just, what was your raw point differential, against teams that had a winning record that season. So that was kind of my way of saying, rewarding you if you played a lot of games and did well against good teams. So when I put all those things together, the 85 Bears came out number one, and I think that's fitting. I mean, they truly were. They were a 15-1 team. They were 8-1 against winning teams. They, they, they outscored the winning teams by 188 points, which is number one out of 500 and some teams since 1970. That's just awesome. And they won it all. They checked kind of all the boxes, right? So that was that sort of validated the list to me that they would come out really high. Uh, 
there were a couple surprises along the way, like the 91 Redskins were third. I guess I remember they were dominant, but sort of like with Breeze and Peyton, you kind of think of the Joe Gibbs Redskins. You don't really think about an individual team as being great. Whereas with the Bears, you think of the 85 Bears because the 88 Bears weren't, you know what I mean? They weren't mm -hmm. as good for as long. So that was an interesting part of it. Like a team like the Bills of the early 90s, they didn't really have a team that was on the most dominant. They were just excellent over a number of years. Yeah, I think the, the 85 Bears were the utter definition of dominant. There's no doubt they were the most dominant team. What I was surprised is the undefeated 72 Dolphins <laughs> uh, were, you know, that had to be a, a curious uh, yeah. discovery for you. Where did they rank and, and why were they not number one even though they never lost a yeah. game? Yeah, well, they so they were number five. So we said 35% your record. So being undefeated really helped them for 35%. And they were dominant, pretty dominant in the regular season by their point per game ratio. They, they averaged winning almost 28 points to 12. So that was about 2.3 times their opponent. And that's really, really good. Um, where they weren't as dominant was they only played five games counting playoffs against winning teams, and they were plus 37 points in that. You know, uh, that was way different than other teams. And, and interestingly, the 73 Dolphins that uh, uh, some on those Dolphins teams thought were better than the 72 team actually came out one spot ahead. They were fourth overall, and, and the 72 team was fifth. And the big difference was uh, against the winning teams – the point margin was much higher for the 73 team. So I learned that, right? We can, you can do your own list and say greatest team and say, you know what? The only undefeated team has to be the greatest team. Fine. We're talking about most dominant and how you got it done without what I think is a pretty good formula. I think that's pretty telling that um, maybe that 72 team was excellent, but you know, didn't win by the same margins. Well, the 2009 saints checked in at number 41. Uh, of course they won the super bowl that year. Uh, went on that run where they beat, Three Hall of Fame quarterbacks, uh, Kurt Warner, uh, Peyton Manning, and Brett Favre. They started that year 13-0. They were one of seven teams in NFL history to start 13-0. And then they kind of let the foot off the accelerator a little bit at the end and lost three in a row. Um, what held them back? Was it those three losses at the end? Were they not as dominant point differential? Yes. Uh, what, what was the no? Saints no, it was actually their actually their strongest category was uh, point differential against winning teams. Okay, they were eight and one in those games. They were plus one hundred and thirteen points. That means when they played winning teams, their average margin was almost plus thirteen points per game. That's awesome. I mean, that put them in the ninety eighth percentile for all the playoff teams since nineteen seventy. So they were really really good there. Uh, they were also really good in their playoff um, point per game ratio. So they averaged winning. 36 points to, to under 20. They, they, they scored 1.8 points in the playoffs for every one they allowed. Awesome. So that, that was really good for them. Um, so maybe a little bit surprisingly, but these two things are related. The two things that are 70% of your grade are the areas where they were relatively not as strong. So the three losses hurt them. I mean, no doubt uh, of the teams that were in the top 25, there was only four teams that lost more than two games. So that certainly hurt them. And then their regular season point differential on average was good. It was 1.5 points scored for everyone allowed. But it wasn't like amazingly good. And maybe that was because, like you said, they lost those three at the end. Maybe they would have had it. So that was a team that maybe if they sustained it, if they went 15-1, and maybe they're in a maybe they're a top 15 team. And instead, mm -hmm. they sort of eased into a top 41 team and – I don't even – what happened at the end of that year? Uh, 
I'm trying to remember. Some teams maybe got penalized well, if they rested starters and all that, but I decided to count all that. You know, right. it's like, hey, if you want to be dominant, then be mean about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. No, and, and it, it, well, a lot of times it comes down to, like, are you positioning? And, and I know it's impossible to include into your formula to take all those kind of esoteric uh, circumstances, yeah. but, you know, you might have a team that's banged up and you want to rest your starters. You have yep. a big lead in the, in the seeding. Every year is different, right? I mean, Sean Payton's pointed this out. A bunch of times in 2006, his first team in the Breeze era, uh, the Saints were the number two seed in the NFC and went 10 and six. And this past year, yeah. they've twice now, 2011 and this past year, were 13 and three and, and were the third seed, didn't even get home field advantage. Every year is different, right? So, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, those things, I think, you know, yeah. make it difficult to come up with a perfect yeah, it is. And, Sean, you know, Sean Payton was never going, hey, I, you know, Sando at one point in uh, 2000, the summer of 2020, he's going to do a thing on most dominant teams. And, <laughs> you know, I'm going to try to be on that. You know, so no doubt. And, like, you know, one of the most dominant teams was one of those 90s Green Bay teams, Brett Favre. They won 41-6 to against a really, like a 12-1 and or something Bronco team. That, that helps them. Well, the Broncos had kind of wrapped things up, and they rested Elway with a sore hamstring that day. So, you know what I mean? We can't go through and take into account every one of those things for every team. So we just sort of, you know, live with the fact that hey, at least the formula is applied equally to everyone, and we live with the results. All right, Mike. Well, look, uh, I really want to thank you for joining the program. We're going to wrap things up here, uh, but man, great stuff. I look forward to seeing you on the road at some point this year. I hope we see each other <laughs> yeah. on the road. You know, it, it it's, uh, seems like it's, I don't know, this offseason for me has just been so different. I, I will say this. You mentioned earlier how uh, you think the – I'm wondering if this offseason is actually going to open some eyes. I've talked to Sean Payton about it. I think it's going to open some of the coaches' eyes that they don't need this intense workload in the offseason like, like they always thought they did. You, you referenced that a yeah. while ago, and I think we might see some changes because I agree with you. I mean, I don't have to – if I don't have to sit on the sidelines of an OTA practice in the middle of April or May anytime again, I'll be happy because I just feel oh. like uh, that is something that could go, be a part of the past of the NFL post-COVID. Oh. I don't know if you feel the same way. I do. I'll give you a quick story. When I started out at the Tacoma News Tribune covering the Seahawks in 1998, I was succeeding John Clayton, you know, who went on to ESPN. John was the beat reporter. And so John was great. Took me under his wing. I came out. You know, he, he Here's how he described minicamps. He said, now these minicamps they have in the offseason, we don't even write stories out of that. Okay, that, That's your chance to go get to know the coaches <laughs> better, get a feel for the team. But I don't even write out of it. Well, now what's happened is people are writing 50 – people are tweeting out of those now, play-by-play right. play out of those. Now, they're keeping stats out of those now, right? That's what the level yeah. of the interest is, and I think it's probably fine to dial back on that a little bit. You know, that, That's one thing I love about my job is I, is I get to be at 10,000 feet because I think sometimes we can lose perspective by looking too closely. Absolutely, 100% agree. Well, Bud, thanks for uh, your debut uh, visit with us on the Duncan Holder program. I'm sure next time you come on, we'll get you back on. Larry will be on. But um, thanks for the visit and, and all the great insight. Thank you, Jeff. All right. I want to thank our awesome producer, Danielle, for all of her work in putting uh, this show together. She does a great job every week. And I want to thank all of you all for listening. Don't forget, uh, rate, review, uh, whatever you want to do on, on whatever platform you're using. Uh, please try and give us a good rating. Uh, Larry and I would much appreciate that. And Larry's going to be back next week. I assume he's going to be back. Uh, hope, hopefully he will be. Hopefully he doesn't uh, go AWOL on us 
and we'll have him back in the saddle hosting the program with his uh, beautiful pipes, his uh, his great uh, dis- discourse on the program. So we'll get Larry back as well. And uh, until then, thanks for listening to Duncan Holder on the Athletics Podcast Network.